At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You sit at a desk. They sit at a desk. You have sales reports. They have book reports. You need supplies. They need supplies. Business is a lot like school. That's why your small business should take advantage of back-to-school deals at Staples. Now, Staples 1-inch 3-ring binders are $1.92. One-subject notebooks are just $0.25, and two-pocket poly folders are just $0.35 each. Make back-to-school your business at Staples. In-store only while supplies last. Offer ends 9-1-18, limit 30. Blog Talk Radio. Hey guys, it's that time of week again. It's the Finsider Podcast time. It's been a week since the NFL draft, and it's time for us to start talking about all those picks. Uh, we also have the sad news of Junior Seau, as well as the uh, New Orleans State penalties to cover tonight. So let's get started. Keith, how you doing? I'm awesome. How are you? <clears throat> I'm here. I'm tired today, but hey, it's podcast day. It's a good thing. James, you're also on the air. What's up? Um, same old, same old. Just fighting through the week. Are you guys glad this is a one-hour show instead of a three-hour show like I am? I am. Yeah. <laughs> three-hour show. It was awesome, but oh, man, did it take a lot out of me. But let's, uh, I guess we'll start off with the sad topic of the day, and Junior Seau, his poor family, teammates, friends, all trying to make sense of this whole situation. Um, James and I were talking about it earlier, and uh, like Jerry Rice was playing golf with Junior on Monday, and 
asked him how he was doing, and he said everything's great. He was enjoying retirement. Things were going well. He was joking around. He talked to his mom Tuesday night and was joking around with her, and everything was great. And then Wednesday morning, it's just over. So it's just a very, very sad story. Yeah. Uh, I actually, I've been so busy, I haven't had uh, enough time to read up on all the details, but I was absolutely shocked yesterday when I came across the wire that uh, they they had uh, responded to a gunshot at his home. I mean, it's, yeah. it seems like every every couple of years you get some kind of situation that comes up in I mean, sports related that is just so bizarre. Like, I mean, we all thought the Steve McNair thing was outrageous. I mean, who, no one saw that coming in my opinion. Yep. So, and I mean, and yeah, obviously it's a completely different circumstance, but but everybody's, at the same time, everybody's obviously drawing the uh, conclusion to uh, Dave uh, Drewer Drucker. For some reason, I cannot remember his name right now. But uh, guy, a years about? Ago, the guy a couple years ago who did the same thing, shot himself oh, in the Durison? chest. There you go. Yeah. Um shot himself in the chest so that he could have his brain studied by the NFL. So everybody's obviously drawing conclusions to that again. And whether or not that's true, I don't know. But it kind of lends itself to that, given that not very often do you hear of people committing suicide by shooting themselves in the chest. Right. But, and then, uh, um, Oh, the, from this, and not not to move on, not to make light of it or anything, but um, just from this, there all the sports talk today has been focused on what this could mean for the NFL, because Seau has the recognition that families and mothers and fathers may start telling their kids they can't play football anymore, and it could be a very scary thing for the NFL if that starts to happen. Well, that's it's something that the NFL I feel like has been afraid of for as long as I can remember, and that's the you know the, the human element. And then I mean, yeah. until recently, when they really started to take on or or put up the the image that they were against concussions and everything, and it's like you know there are people inside those uniforms and inside those those uh, those masks and everything, and I mean they. They suffer. Some of these guys suffer long after they're done. I, it didn't come out recently that Dominic Rayola, the uh, Lions center, is already all messed up yep. from his career, and he was saying it was worth it and everything. But I mean, you have to imagine ten, fifteen years down the road when, I mean, he's seriously affected from his playing days, and he, yeah. he's unable yeah. to go about his his life in a normal everyday fashion. I mean, that's the problem. I can't imagine anyone being okay with that or signing on for it. One of the, uh, I guess, semi-controversial comments right now is uh, Kurt Warner, who he's come out, it may have even been yesterday, but I know as of this morning he was saying it, that uh, he does not want his kids to play football. And some former players and current players say that, he should keep that opinion to himself that football's been good to him and everything he has in his life is because of football. And uh, I heard it on the way home today. They were talking to him on the radio, and they raised that point to him. And he said, yeah, 
I know football's been good to me. I know I have football to thank for everything. I love the game of football. But as a father, I don't want my kids to be out there. I don't want to be sitting in the stands watching my kid get blasted in the head. And it's a great point. I mean, it's very valid. So, yeah, I don't know, I don't know why his why somebody would tell him he shouldn't uh, voice his opinion regardless of how he made his money. That seems uh I mean, his opinion is just as valid as anyone's else, anyone else's. Yep. But you know, it, and it's funny because it's one of those situations where you should you shouldn't uh share your opinion, but I'm going to give you mine. Right. And well, I mean, we tend to I mean, it's easy to forget just how violent this game is and I uh, I was actually reminded of it a few years ago oddly enough by watching remember uh uh, any given Sunday, and then some of the, some of the scenes in that film, and I thought that we did a really good job of just showing how brutal things are on the field. I mean, obviously not to the point where I mean someone loses an eye, but I mean, I mean, your best pick could be your, could be your last. You know, I mean, you're not. I mean, we sit there and we watch games and we think, you know, get up. I mean, you're fine and everything, but I mean, you we have no idea what kind of toll all these hits have taken on any yeah. particular player's body. We have no idea. Yep. You're always and, you're always one hit away from the end. Have and, you seen Earl Campbell have you seen Earl Campbell lately? That guy can't even get out of a wheelchair at this point. I mean one hit one concussion could end somebody's career and cripple them for life. Whereas a hundred could not affect somebody. You know, it's different mm-hmm. for every single person. I mean, look at hockey, how long uh, Sidney Crosby was out from one concussion. I mean, he missed almost an entire season because of one concussion. Yeah, that's so, another league that's I mean, really trying to cut down on their concussion problems. Because, yeah. I, mean, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, not to, not to turn concussions into a form of dollar signs, but when your your best players are out, I mean, what are yep. people paying to, to see there? People don't want to go to Penguins yeah. games just to watch, you know, Evgeny Malkin. They want to play. They want to see him play with Sidney Crosby. I mean, Curtis Painter or uh, Peyton Manning. I mean, granted, it wasn't a concussion, but same thing. You want to see the stars. You don't want to see the scrubs that are the third or fourth string guys that are getting thrown in there because of injuries. No, you want to see the people who who are put up on posters on walls and everything. You know, there's no yep. fat at a British painter. So, you, uh, speaking of posters, did you see the uh, story that the day before the draft was the day that um, Indy took down the giant poster of Peyton that's been up on the side of the stadium since they built the stadium? No, that doesn't <laughs> yeah. surprise. Uh, don't even get me the, started the, on that. Um, the, the, the team said that it was because a cherry picker happened to be driving by right then and it could lift them up high enough to get it. And they happen to flag this cherry picker down and get it over there. Like, right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that explanation, and I totally buy it. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, um, enough of the sad talk. Uh, Junior Seau, keep his family, friends, in your thoughts and prayers. Um they need they need all the support they can get right now, but 
let's turn our attention to the future of the Miami Dolphins because obviously we have a lot to talk about given the draft last week. Uh, Tannehill at the top. I'm sure we've talked Tannehill to death, but you guys got anything you want to add on Tannehill? What is that? Is that our but, musical interlude for the night? No, it should be. It, it's, uh, I'm outside, and uh, because it's, it's uh, 80 degrees up here in Chicago, and uh, these people are pull trains through. Just they feel like that that horn's got to go the whole time. Oh, uh, okay. We're out of dodge now, <laughs> so we're good. So I'm sorry. Can you repeat the question? Uh, anything you want to add on Tannehill? Because I'm sure we've talked him to death pretty much. No, are you kidding? We haven't talked about him nearly enough. Uh, <laughs> he was the he was the right pick. It's what this this franchise wants to do things differently on offense. They started with the quarterback. Some people had a problem with that. Mel Kiper came out and he after he signed off on it and said that it is a little bit of reach, but it's the right thing to do. He comes out and he's just like, It's just not something that's just not a good pick. Well, yeah, it was. Because this yeah. offense wants to wants to basically bring it all back a certain principle, and you start with the quarterback. You don't start with the offensive line. You don't start with the receivers. You don't start with the running backs or tight ends. It's always about the guy taking snaps under center. Yep. I think uh, I, I think given the board, given everything, given where this team is, Tannehill was the pick you had to make. And I know people have issues with a number eight overall pick sitting for a year or half a year or whatever it ends up being. Now, granted, from day one, Philbin has said the best quarterback will start for this team. So he hasn't even ruled Tannehill out of that. And Tannehill does have the benefit of, he said, opening the playbook, he recognized like 75% of the plays. They had different names. They might be doing a little bit different. But he could tell it was a Mike Sherman playbook. So speaking of – one one person who absolutely beat the Tannehill thing to death was uh who was that guy who put up the the SB Nation draft grades and he was he just said that the the Tannehill pick was just absolutely god awful. Oh, um, Dan Rubenstein. Okay, yeah, he's you see he's people like that. I, I don't mean to single just him out, but I'll use him as an example. These people that come out and Count on the Dolphins for not having the the balls, you know, uh, pardon the term, for going up and getting a quarterback or taking a quarterback where you are. Uh, and that's what the complaint has been about Jeff Ireland and company for eight, you know, the, the last few years. He doesn't have the ball yeah. to take a quarterback and groom him. So now he does it, and, and all of a sudden it's a stupid move. Like, you, you just cannot win. And, frankly, it, it annoys the crap out of me. But... I- I think I think what he was saying was that it, it's the same thing that all the experts have said, that it's a reach to take a quarterback there that you're not going to be starting. But, I mean, that, that's what the Dolphins had. And uh, Jeff Ireland told uh, Peter King of SI.com today that um, the reason that the Dolphins didn't go up and chase the number two overall pick to get RG3. Wow. Sorry about that, guys. Um, 
the reason that he didn't chase RG3 was, in the end, their draft grades came out to about the same. And now, granted, everybody can go, oh, that's just Tannehill trying to make sense of it. But I've actually heard other experts say that, that in the end, Tannehill has a better upside and has a chance to be a better quarterback than RG3 and even Andrew Luck. Those two are ready to start today. So that's why they go now. But Tannehill, once he develops, could be there. Tannehill already has better anticipation skills than RG3. People can argue that with me all they want. Go back to the tape and watch it. There's a difference between throwing somebody open and throwing to a guy who is open. I mean, it's there. Now, the thing is, remember a couple months ago, you and I were talking about, uh, Kevin, we were talking about Griffin last fall, right? That's when we really started to discuss him. Yeah. And what did we both say? He wasn't somebody who could start from day one. Now, I mean, we've seen enough of him where, okay, maybe he could start from day one. I feel like this Daniel is going to be on the same curve where, oh, he's he's too raw. Give him a, he's going to need an entire year. You can't throw him in there. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, well, now the best quarterback will start. I think as you'll you'll see the curve. I don't think he'll start day one. I don't feel like that yet, at least. But I'm I'm not ruling it out. Yeah, I don't think you can rule it out right now. I think that it could it is not likely. Um, probably looking at, I, I would I could see him starting before the end of the year. But if I mean obviously if we're nine and two after eleven games, he's probably not starting. But if we're six and five after eleven games, maybe he is because we might be out of the playoff chase by then. If we're hey, anything worse than that, why not throw him in? I feel confident about this because of who our head coach and offensive coordinator are currently. Yeah. I don't think they're gonna put him in a position to fail. Exactly. I I, they already have too much invested in him. They're not going to throw him to the wolves. I don't. I don't buy that at all. And I mean, with my previous comments, uh, I don't mean to to bash Griffin or anything. I mean, Griffin's a he's a showstopper. He's a total package. He's a human highlight reel. But there are some things that Tannehill does better than Griffin. I, I oh yeah. I've had a couple people argue with me about that, but I, I see it there. I just think in terms of being able to to understand pro-style terminology right off the bat. I mean, Tano's already proven that he knows what he's doing. The guy was like yep. an encyclopedia when he had that, that talk with Gruden. So he, he's, he's clearly got the brain to do it. He's got the arm to do it. He's got the athleticism to do it. He's not running a 4-4 or anything. But the guy's upside is, we don't know what it, what it is, but it's high. Yep, exactly. And uh, Let's might... go ahead and bring Alan in to talk to us. Alan, how you doing? I'm doing okay, guys. Uh, how uh, or uh, says you want to talk about some picks? So, what pick do you want to talk about? I'm guessing... Well, I kind of wanted to talk about the. Uh, I'm sorry. No, go on. Uh, the the kind of the the future of the Dolphins in a year, if it's going to look a lot different since we got Lamar Smith. Um, will we keep Reggie Bush around? Um, will uh, and um, do we keep like Matt Moore around or David Garrard in a year, or do we get rid of one of them? and just have it down the Tannehill and maybe Gerard be our veteran backup and maybe trade more in a year? Um, I could see a trade with Matt Moore. I could also see him staying. I'm not sure Gerard will stay just because of his age. Um, 
I think you have to have a veteran. One of the two of them will stay, and it will be Tannehill's team unless Matt Moore goes out and just destroys the field this year. And then it's his team until Tannehill's 100% ready to go. Um, I think the the pick that makes me wonder what the future is going to be is Lamar Miller with Reggie Bush. Do Does this mean that the team is bringing him in so that they can let Bush go when his contract's up? I, I don't know. I don't know. That was my favorite pick in the entire draft. That was that was just such a such a indicator of what this team wants to do. I mean, they want to get faster, and I mean, Lamar Miller is not a small guy. He's like what six foot two fifteen. Yeah, I mean, he's he's that's a that's a quality size for a back. But of the fact that they're the important thing with uh, to answer your question with the quarterback and the running back situations, we have options. We're not tied to Reggie Bush if something if something comes down. I mean, you just brought in a a guy uh, who really is a four three running back with, with a, a bigger build. So I mean, I mean Reggie Bush has been a great player for us. But you bring in all this speed, and now you have all these options. Spread them out wide, do whatever you want. I mean, yeah. and, it, and it and the thing that we're forgetting in all of this is Daniel Thomas is still there too. So, I, think be- I mean, he, he will be better this year, given the fact that he has a training camp, he has pro experience now, and hopefully his injuries are behind him. But, I mean, he gives us a power back still right there, too. Like our own earth, wind, and fire or something, you know? That, <laughs> it, that it, it, did, did you just try to coin the, um, the uh, nickname for them? No, no, no! Oh, I, I stole that from the Giants anyway because they, they had the Are you? Oh yes. Oh yes. But are you working on your Matty Award nomination already? Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know. If I'm, <laughs> no, no. But isn't it, don't, don't you like the fact that we've got? I mean, technically, we've got three running backs right now. One of them is a four-three guy. Bush is used to be a four-three guy. I'll probably put him in the four fours. And then, I mean, you've got Thomas, who's in the the higher four-five. So, I mean, you've got some he's back there, and you've got some serious speed. You've got some home run hitters in the backfield, and it's funny to think how we went from uh, uh, Ronnie Brown and Ricky Williams to a backfield that is that is built, but really fast. Yes, very true. And it's not just all speed, either, because when you add in, like, Jerome Messam, who's freaking a giant at a tailback, and actually apparently can run from what the uh, the local media had said, watching him in the first couple practices of camp, he's going to be a freaking monster too. So we're set on running backs with speed and power, whichever way we end up going. That Lamar Miller pick was outstanding. I, 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 I really do. And, I mean, but, James and I was uh, in the third round the night before – I asked him, I was like, did Martin Miller get there, or am I hallucinating here? Because I remember, because I mean, I thought he was a first-round guy. I remember watching him play at the U, and I was like, man, that guy could burn. Hey, guys, you there? Yep, hello? Oh, yeah, hey, sorry. 
Sorry, my, my earpiece you went weird for a second. Yeah, we're good. But, okay. Um, we Alan, thanks for the call. Alan. Mm-hmm. Thanks very much for the call. Thank you, guys. You have a good night. You too. Thanks, bud. Take care. Hey, and uh, whoever just called from a 760 area code, uh, I tried to answer your call. It All I could hear was what sounded like wind, so if you want to call back and try again, please do. Um, okay, so after RT-17, after Ryan Tannehill, no, I, like RT, I like RT-17. <laughs> anyway, uh, Jonathan Martin in the second round. What's, what's your impression other, of that pick? My other favorite pick. I, I guess I would say uh, I love the quarterback pick, but Miller was like 1A, Martin would be 1B. If we're really, I mean, we're going to a zone blocking scheme. Miller's a home run, or I'm sorry, Martin's a home run uh, in that in that set. Uh, I don't know what it means for Jake. I mean, you saw a lot of things, whether it indicates that we're going to move on from Jake Long in a year. I don't know anything about that. But I do know that with those zone blocking concepts, if you watch Martin's tape, it, it's all right there. I mean, his ability yeah. to, to in tandem take on a block and then with both, say he's taking it on with the guard and both their eyes are forward, one of them is going to shed and take on a linebacker. And you watch his tape. I mean, he's really athletic. He gets, I mean, he can get downfield, kind of like Pouncey. I mean, not as good as Mike Pouncey, but that ability to really get into the second level and do damage. I, way back when, when the whole uh, mock draft started and we were just getting past the season and everything was starting to look like we were taking either Riley Reef or Jonathan Martin. If you remember, I, I was with Martin from the beginning. He was my – I I just I really liked Martin and I don't know why, but I don't know what made me want him over Reef. But he was the guy that I just watching his tape, watching him, he was the guy I wanted. So then when it became okay, Tannehill's shooting up the board. We're taking Tannehill. Never did I think Martin would be sitting there in the second round. But when they made that pick, I I'm happy at that point. I don't care what the rest of the draft looks like. We got a quarterback. And we got the, the alignment that I thought we were going to take in the eighth overall pick. Mm-hmm. So it, it worked out beautifully for me, at least. Now, hopefully, he proves something to me, and he's actually a decent pick. But well, I thought he was the um, best rock blocker in this draft, hands down. You and I have talked about that for months. I mean, you yeah. watch him, I and mean, he, he is just a bulldozer when he gets into the open field. I think, and I was underwhelmed with his tape at left tackle because I felt like he struggled to really stand his man up. I felt like there are times on the left side where he wasn't winning at the at the point of contact, whereas I can see him getting out on the right side and uh, in a zone blocking scheme. And, it, I mean, his athleticism, he's got brains. I mean, you can tell that he really knows how to read uh, what's going on in the field. Awesome pick and really a slam dunk for what, Philbin and Sherman want to do with the offensive line. Sorry, I'm, I'm reading at the same time as talking again. Uh, I do that so well, don't I? Yeah. Um, I, I I think, yeah. I, I haven't watched enough tape of Khalil simply because I knew we weren't taking Khalil. So I don't know him compared to Martin. 
But yeah, Martin, I'm I'm happy with Martin. Oh, Martin is so much better of a run blocker. It's not even funny. I mean, we're Khalil, like I said, Martin struggled to really take guys on and win at the point of contact on the left side. That's where Khalil excels. I mean, right. he, he, you see, like when when he was protecting Barkley last year. I mean, he's taken on any any pass rusher in his path, and I mean, he gets under the guy and he just stands up. I mean, like like we're used to seeing Jake Long play, where he yep. really can get into a guy guy's path and just end him on that play. That's I mean, Khalil has that ability, but Khalil's not nearly as sound a, a run blocker as Martin is. I mean, you, yeah. you watch him get downfield, and I mean, there's really something to be said to be able to hit a moving target when you're getting into the second level and you're trying to open things up. I mean, you see, like, Martin's got the accuracy to do that. I mean, like, he, he's flush. He's flush on contact, and I thought that Khalil struggled with that at times. <laughs> Shinhead, there's just something wrong with you. It, it, I, I'm not even going to talk about the comments, but if you want to read them, go over to the site and read the page. I, yeah, okay. So, um <laughs> Uh, Olivier Vernon in the third round, the first of the two third round picks. How do you like Vernon? James is the U fan, so let's start with him. That's true. I'm James. Not there. James is gone. James. Apparently, we anyway, lost James. Well, we'll wait for him to okay. come back. But I, I thought the Olivier <laughs> Vernon pick was really uh, not my favorite pick, but I think that. Uh, in terms of what these guys are looking to do on defense, uh, he's got right. the build for it. And, I mean, he uh not as productive last season with all the stuff that came up, but uh, he's definitely – I mean, he's got tons of ability. I mean, the, the tape that I've watched of Vernon, I've been really impressed. Yeah, I, I, I don't have a problem with the pick. Um, I, I My defensive number one choice was Ingram the whole way. And if we had taken Ingram over Tannehill, I would not have been disappointed, I don't think. But I, uh, I, I'm i okay with Vernon. I like I like what I've seen of him. I have not watched a whole lot on him, but I do like what I've seen of Vernon. So that should be a good pick for us. I then so. I was kind of surprised to go with a tight end next and take Michael Agnew, but uh, looking at him, I think he actually fits perfectly. Well, he's a Jermichael Finley build. That's what I thought yep. prior to this draft. I mean, he's, I mean, he's a, an angular type guy, but I mean, he's he's north of six five. I mean, uh, not. I mean, he did next to no blocking at, at Missouri. So, yeah. but I don't really think of Finley as a as a super fantastic blocker either. I mean, he's no. a guy where. When he's out there, I mean, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to account for him. And if if you spread him out wide or you get him out there, he is a matchup problem. And I think exactly you, you have to match him up with either a cornerback or a linebacker. And he's bigger than a cornerback, and he's faster than a linebacker. So great hand. whichever way you go, exactly. It's good to I think he gives hand. us a weapon that we don't have. I I have no issue with Fasano. Uh, I think Fasano is a very solid tight end. He gives you the ability to block as well as the ability to catch, but he's not that dynamic split him out. Nobody knows what to do with him. Take the seam up the middle and go that used to kill us every single week. 
I think it reminds me more of like uh, your your Jimmy Graham, uh, Jermaine Gresham type. You know, real That's, angular guy, not not somebody yeah. who just knocks people out. I mean, Fleener's not Fleener's not a great blocker by any stretch. In fact, you could say Kobe nope. Fleener's a poor blocker. Uh, not an ideal uh, in-line tight end, but, I mean, you, you spread him out, you get him out there. He's a matchup problem for any team that plays him, and I think Agnew could be the, could be the same way for us, and it gives Philbin a, a, a player who's really a point of uh, familiarity. Well, since, uh, since we already talked Lamar Miller, let's go ahead and uh, we'll bring Thomas on right now. He wants to talk about the fans. So, Thomas, welcome. Yeah, man, I was just going to say, you know, I've, I've listened to the – watched the Twitter and I listened to some of uh, the Finsider and all these guys, they're, like, negative about everything. Oh, they didn't do this. Oh, they should have drafted that. We should have got a wide receiver in the first round. And and they don't realize that these guys, you know, they're professional coaches and general managers. And the, the draft and the, how do you say, free agency doesn't always go the way you want it. But you got to have faith in your team, man. And if you're a fan – you know, the negativity doesn't help anybody. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't help you. It doesn't help the team. doesn't help anything. So just kind of, you know, if you're going to be a fan, then watch. You know, let everybody stop thinking that they're general managers and they know what to do and how to manage a team. And most of them don't even know what a, a, a what do you call it, a zone blocking offense is or, you know, spread offense or any of that stuff. So they, they keep telling us what we should draft because, oh, this is the most popular guy. You know, this is the guy who's rated highest on this chart. But, Football players are more important than, you know, uh, guys who think they know everything about how this guy is going to pan out because last year everybody was down on Cam Newton. Oh, no, that guy, there's no way. And he broke every record that a rookie quarterback can break. So uh, just sit back if you're going to be a fan and watch. Everybody, just because you're on Twitter or, or Facebook, don't think that you know everything. You know, your opinion doesn't matter as much as they keep telling you it does. So uh, let's just be fans, man, and watch the game, you know, enjoy it. Everybody doesn't have to, the, you know, the sky's not falling every time they don't do what you want. I couldn't I think agree more. Best, I think the best point you had in there was the fact that the draft doesn't go the way you want it to go. Because um, I've seen it all the time. Why did Ireland wait until the sixth round to get a wide receiver? Why did he take one in the fourth or fifth round? Because he didn't have either think, that he wanted to take. I think this draft was excellent, man. You got really yeah. good value in every pick, man. It wasn't they didn't reach for anybody. They didn't reach for the streeter guy who really has no background at all at the wide receiver position. You know, he he had what forty catches or something last year, and he came decided he wanted to come out. I mean, they, you got to pick guys who play football, who are good football players, not guys who because they're six five and they run a four two, you automatically think they're going to be Calvin Johnson. That just doesn't. Ha- that's not how it works. You know, guys like uh, uh, what's, what's the dude that played in Green Bay, the the dude that, that led the receivers who was a nobody. You know, the system makes these guys good. A lot of times you've got to have a good passer, a guy who calls the plays when in the right position. It's not just about the guy who's the biggest, the, the fastest, and, you know, the, that everybody likes the most. You know what I'm saying? Hey, Thomas? Yeah. Thomas, yeah. Who, was your, uh, who was your favorite pick in this draft? Um... My favorite pick, I'm going to probably go with Agnew just because guys that are that big and that athletic are, you know, as your as what's his name on uh, tight ends are the most athletic guys on the field. What's his name? I don't know the guy that's on the fence side all the time, but uh, Stratford or whatever it is. His, his, his size and speed are going to be ridiculous. Because what, what that does, what a lot of people don't realize about your Michael Finley, 
is his position causes defenses to have to collapse on him. So that opens up all kinds of lanes for everybody else on the field. So when you got a guy like that who can exploit the center of the field, it makes everything else on the outside easier. It makes the running backs have bigger lanes on the outside because the safeties have to cheat closer to the inside of the field. I mean, that 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 in itself is to me the best pick on the on the, on the draft. I like Cam right. Hill and that. Go ahead. Well, uh, speaking of Tannehill, uh, something I was going to say earlier, uh, the thing about about uh, Ryan Tannehill that it seems like few people are picking up on uh, wasn't the ideal pick at number eight, but was the right pick for what we're looking to do. And I remember, I mean, we all saw the war room of Jeff Ireland after he made that pick. They're all like high-fiving each other. Oh, yeah, and, and, I mean, you could tell that's the guy he wanted. He got his guy. Didn't have to move up for him. Didn't have to, didn't have to go ahead and play into anyone's hands right. to get that pick. And, and he got him. And you could tell that's the board. He's got a board set up a certain way. And it, the talent that he wanted lined up, and he got his guy. So I don't understand how people can fault him for that. People are just wanting – I feel reach is like the most overused term ever with the draft now. He's a reach. He's a reach. People right, say Cam Newton was ridiculous. Pouncey was a reach last year. Yeah, Pouncey was a reach. He's already one of the best centers in the game. But what a, what a horrific reach at 15. Why would you ever take a center? It's because he's a once-in-a-lifetime talent. Well, technically twice in a lifetime because his brother's really the same <laughs> way. Yeah, that's, <laughs> right, that's true right there. People you know what? Are, are not supposed to be that athletic, and a Pouncey is. That's why you right. take that guy at 15, because he can do things that other guys at that position can't even dream of. Yeah. It's interesting well, stuff, man. I love football. Yeah. Like I, said, I, I love I love to watch the competition. I mean, don't get me wrong, man. When I was watching, that, the one thing that I hated, you know what I would love more than anything to get from Coach Philbin or any other head coach in Dolphin history? But the last four years that Sperano was the head coach, we did not win one opener. It was 0-3, 0-2, 0-5, 0-7. Every year was 0-something. And how do you motivate? I mean, I give them credit for bringing them back later in the year, but, I mean, you got to start better. You can't come out the blocks and with cutting half, half of your foot. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. just, I don't know, man. It just was slow starting every year. I don't know what the problem was, but I would just like to see the Dolphins start fast for once, man. To me, that would that would make the, the end of the season a lot more exciting to watch because – those games that they say are supposed to matter are actually going to matter. But don't get me wrong. It was awesome to put the Jets out. It was awesome. That was like, I was, uh, you know how it's Ireland and then we're in the draft room? That's how I felt when they put the Jets out. <laughs> <laughs> we, used to, we used to at least win our home opener every year. And we haven't been able to do that lately. But, Thomas, thanks for the call. Uh, All right, guys. I'll try to come call back or listen in whenever I see the little post on, the, on Twitter. Yep. It's a good deal. Twitter helps a lot. And uh, I look forward to talking to you guys again, man. Fins up. Thanks, Fins up. You have a good night. So we've already talked Lamar Miller. Obviously, Keith, you absolutely love the pick. I think it was a great pick sitting there. And obviously it was the guy they wanted since they went up and traded up for him. He's the best player available in a lot of ways except for the trade up. But, yeah, I mean, how many times – that's one of the things that Iowa has been killed on. He never takes the best talent on the board. Well, in the fourth round, guess what? Lamar Miller's the best talent on the board. You're yeah. talking, like I said, we already listed off his his height and weight, but you're talking about a legit four three guy 
one of those, I mean, you stick him in a, in a zone blocking scheme, I mean, one cut later, you know, get that guy open space and you're not going to, you're not going to catch him. That's just adding the home run threat that we, we really missed into the whole Toronto area. Era. Sorry. Yeah. It's, it's what, it's like what, uh, Ireland said last year, and Sprano even said it last year, that they wanted speed. And now they have speed. So we'll see how they do this year with new coaches, and obviously, but we'll see how Ireland does with speed this year. Well, Phil, uh, moving on. Speed. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Especially if I mean, what they're saying at the draft is true, that these guys are looking to run 90 offensive plays a game, and that these guys are uh, are – looking to uh to get a college style offense in here. We'll see if it can work. I mean I, I kind of fear the uh old ball coach fun and gun, but I don't think no, that's where yeah. they'll go, but I no, think no, they'll no. go fast tempo, no huddle, let's get moving type thing. Well, that's what isn't that what the fans have been complaining about forever that our offense yeah. was cutting edge enough, and it wasn't. I mean, don't get me wrong, but when I think about cutting edge offense at the college level, I think about Oregon. Yep, Oregon. Oregon's the kind of team where I mean, it is just like I mean, it is a slit your throat type of offense where I mean, like they are fast and they are in your face, and I mean they can score from anywhere on the field. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's yeah. But speaking of Oregon, uh, our next pick is Josh Cadu out of Oregon. So now we're pulling in an outside linebacker to come in, and I, I really think this was a double down on the pass rusher type pick. Take uh, You take uh, Vernon earlier and add Cadu, and one of the two of them should at least be able to do something. I think uh, Josh Cadu caught my attention. I want to say it was when – we watched the Oregon USC game on a Saturday night last November. I, I want to say right. earlier in the game they were talking about Kadu because he came in and he was just blowing people away. I, I think yeah. that uh, USC had a, a third and short, they, and he just came up and just dropped the he he dropped the running back in his right where uh, where he took the ball. <clears throat> Sorry, I was trying not to cough there. So I mean he, that was that was when that that guy's name really. It really first uh, struck me, and uh, a lot of people were disappointed with that pick because that's where they expected to get the wide receiver. But yes. I mean, uh, yeah. do is uh, he's someone where you get him in the right scheme, you, you coach him, and you can shape him. That guy could be a big time threat. I think so. I think he can be both a pass rush threat, and if you want to leave him in a four three as an outside linebacker, he can get up there and either plug a hole or. He has the speed to stay with a tight end. Absolutely. So I think I think whichever way the team decides that they want to use him or whichever way he seems to work best, pass rush or tight end coverage, he's a good pick either way. And these are picks you wouldn't see from the Parcells no, team. These guys not at are, all. These guys who are a little bit smaller I mean, but faster, more athletic, you know, guys. Even who, Martin. Martin doesn't fit it. Martin is not the biggest offensive lineman ever. No, absolutely not. Well, no, uh, I really think uh, it's funny that they took uh, Buffalo took Cordy Glenn 
because I think Cordy Glenn would have it would have been the ideal guy for the last regime. That that you know that I'm yeah. trying to think of a, of a nice word to put it. That mammoth big mammoth individual on the interior. I was going to say tub of goo, but uh, <laughs> something really big mean. And but yeah, some well, I mean fat. Really, but I mean a lot of a lot of mass. Cordy Glenn, yeah, Cordy Glenn is not a ripped individual, okay? Yeah, uh, it, you know, like when Andre Smith took his shirt off a few years ago, and people were like, "Yeah, draft stock going down." <laughs> kind of like that. I mean, Cordy Glenn's about three. I think he was three fifty. They said he was close to four hundred at one point. So that that is, would have been the the fit. Uh, with the last regime, but you're right. Martin Martin isn't a small guy. He's close to six six, well over three hundred pounds. But he's an athletic guy. You know, he's exactly he can, he can get upfield. I mean, he can. I mean, he targets those those blocks at the second level. Like, I mean, I keep repeating that, but I, that for that zone blocking scheme that we're bringing in, Martin's a no brainer. Martin's built just like uh, similar to uh, Brian Belaga. Who, who got into Green Bay scheme and just tore it up right off the bat. Yep, very much so. Um, moving on from Kadu, we get to the first of the two wide receiver picks with B.J. Cunningham. What's your thought on Cunningham? Well, I live in Big Ten country, so I, I had a really good opportunity to watch B.J. Cunningham, and I like him a lot. I w- didn't think he was going to be one of the guys to go to Miami, but it makes a lot of sense. I mean, he's he's a he's a playmaker type. Uh, I like him as a route runner. Uh, I, I I like his speed. Uh, he's just uh, I, I would say he's, he's got good hands and he's shifty. Those are probably the two uh, two ways I would describe him. And he can do damage. I mean, you get him you get him synced up in our offense, and I mean, you can he's someone where you can put him at multiple spots on the field. I think uh, with Cunningham and then, again, with Matthews, the last pick of the seventh round, or our last pick of the seventh round, Richard Matthews, both of them, they're not the fastest guys, but they're sure-handed and they're route runners. And that seems to be what Philbin and Sherman are looking for, is we don't need the speed. We need somebody who's going to run a crisp, precise route. So yeah, I, like- I don't... I think a speed receiver, I mean, Ryan, or Ryan, I'm saying Ryan Tannehill because I'm reading his name right now. Uh, Brian Hartline showed last year he has the ability to get behind the coverage. Uh, Clyde Gates obviously has the speed to get back there. He just needs to work on his route running and his catching before he becomes Ted Ginn. Um, but. <laughs> but I like the Cunningham-Matthews pick. It's a it, – at least Cunningham and maybe even Matthews is a possession receiver going to go out there and get you that catch that you need. And that's all that we're looking for. Somebody who catches the ball. I mean, who was it? Um, was it Joel? I can't remember who it was now. I'm sorry. I, I had you post it. Now I can't remember who I had posted, but the fan post we had on the site the other day of what do you call a wide receiver that can't catch? I mean, it, it's true. If we're dropping every pass, what good does it do us to have the fastest guy out there on the field? Right. I thought so, both of our seventh round picks were steals, actually. I, I I like Keiston Randall also. I thought he was a great pick right there. 
I can't believe Keaton Randall came all the way to the seventh round. And, I mean, watching him, he – granted, Paul Soliai is a pro bowler, but I think he's the same – I think he could have the same production. Yes. Just block the middle and let the def- the defensive ends go. Hard to argue with uh... – Texas defensive lineman as of late. They put they picked up some pretty awesome prospects. Yeah. So, and, and some real sleepers. I mean, you see guys who get drafted fourth, fifth, sixth round coming out of Texas, and sometimes it's because they're a bit undersized or uh, whatever they have working against them. But, I mean, in the right spot, value meets needs and bring it on. So I thought that seventh, that seventh round pick on Randall was, a, was a, an ideal one for the Dolphins. Yeah, I, th- I think it was. Hey, guys, we have about 15 minutes left in the show. If you want to call in, phone number is 347-326-9461. Give us a call. We'll talk to you about anything Dolphins, anything NFL, anything sports, anything. So give us a call. <laughs> <laughs> you like how James I, I just sort of ran out of things there? <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. James, James wants to talk about how awesome you Darvish is. Yeah, that's true. You, you you want to talk to you, Darvish, James? Uh, we and now we're good. I'm sure no one wants to hear about how great you, Darvish, is. <laughs> but he, he's four and zero with a one point oh four ERA. Other than that first inning, right? Yeah, the first Darvish inning he uh, yeah he gave up four runs and he didn't look so great right off the bat. I think you you sent me a text on that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, from yeah, that point on, he's looking he's, good. Yeah, he's looked great. So I say, give him a couple of years, and he'll be a he'll be a certified ace. I got something we can talk about. Something that's been on my yeah. mind uh, the last hour or so. Uh, did you What's see up? the latest Bill, Bill Simmons article? I have uh, not. No. He fans aren't going to like this, but he he comes up with uh, uh, teams that. He he calls them asterisk teams, teams that won championships because something else happened, you know. So he has, right. I mean, he brings this up because Derrick Rose tearing his ACL. So he already said that this could be an asterisk year. I mean, some team cruises just because. I mean, you just had the number one seed, pretty much submarine, right out of the joint in one fell right. swoop. Uh, some of the some of the uh, teams on this list I thought were intriguing. Uh, he talks about uh, these the '89 Pistons uh, pretty much getting a getting a Lakers team that was just falling apart. You know, like Magic Johnson pulls his hammy in Game Two, and he's pretty much worthless. Yeah. I mean, Kareem was Kareem was pretty much a ghost at that point. So I, I thought it was. I mean, like I said, Heat fans are going to like that because they're way high up on that list. I mean, yeah. With the, 2006 team, but uh, 2002 Lakers were on there because of the game six with Sacramento, which I'm in absolute agreement with. Sorry for Lakers fans out there, but that was an absolute travesty. Uh, The Earl agrees with you that that was a good Simmons article. Thank you, Earl. Why don't you call in and talk about it? (laughs) But um, I, I will say to jump back to the Dolphins, I'm looking at the undrafted free agents we have coming in. I'm, I love the fact that they grabbed Jeff Fuller, the Texas yeah. A&M wide receiver. I mean, 
even if he just sits on the practice squad, that gives Tannehill somebody he knows, somebody to throw to, let him develop while Tannehill's developing, and you're good to go. The talent, I, I really like that pickup. That talent, the talent's absolutely there. He was a a, a top 32 uh draft watch guy last summer when ESPN yep. first or Scouts Inc. or whatever their name is this week uh, when they put out that list in the beginning of August. Fuller was on there. Yeah. You know? But actually, Fuller was right next to Tannehill. And obviously, he had had a, a pretty down season. But, I mean, the talent is there. He's a big guy. He's 6'4". He's in, I forget what his weight is. like in the two two twenty range, 215. He's going to have to be coached up, but I think we got the right guys in place to do that. I'm all about it, bringing in these these fringe type guys who bring a lot to the table. I mean, but yeah, are miss, miss why not? It, what's it going to hurt? Absolutely. I, I I do. I like the uh, I like that pick. I think that'll work out well for the Dolphins. So, um, speaking of undrafted free agents, I'm going to throw this out there because. I think uh, I think it could do us some good simply because of what it is. Um, I posted a fan shot last night, and I'm going to post it again tonight if you didn't see it. Uh, it's called Love the Eric Legrand Signing. Let's pay it forward. If you haven't heard, the Buccaneers signed Eric Legrand. He's the uh, Rutgers defensive tackle who got paralyzed. Um, obviously, Greg Schiano is now the coach over in Tampa, so he's taking care of his, own, his former player. They signed him simply so that he could have his dream of being in the NFL. Um, he didn't sign for any money simply because they can't do that. It then affects the salary cap and all that kind of stuff. And the team is working on trying to find a way for him to work within the organization in some capacity. His dream was to play in the NFL, retire from the NFL, and go into broadcasting. So whether it's working as a Bucks broadcaster or something, we'll see what they end up doing. But the guys over at Bucks Nation started a – um, started a thread to try to get people to email the team and say, "Hey, can you start uh, can you start selling Eric LeGrand jerseys, number fifty two? Sell it and donate all the proceeds, whether however you can get Nike or whoever involved, donate all the proceeds to a some sort of charity for paralysis or something like that." So I'm going to post that fan shot again. If you guys Read the story. If you like it, uh, you can help them out and get it done. If you don't want to, I'm not saying you have to, but it just was something that caught my eye yesterday and uh, could do some good. Um, we got a bunch of callers on hold right now, so we're going to run through them real fast. Uh, CT, you're up first. What's up? Hey, how you guys doing? Not too bad. How's your night going? Oh, not too bad. We're... Me and the wife are going to Vegas for a couple of days tomorrow, so uh, it, life's good right Very now. Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. yeah, we need to get away from uh, the kids for a little bit. You know, that's what happens when you have four daughters. You need to leave the house when you can. But, uh, no, I, you know, you guys have talked a lot about the draft and the different picks and things like that. And and you know it pains me to, to say this, but i got to give Ireland a little bit of credit here. Because one of the things I think he did really well in this draft is give the offense a bunch of flexibility. 
I really like what Miami can do with basically base personnel and then flank out and, and change the formation on the fly. I mean, they can come out and base, base personnel, two wide receivers, a tight end like Agnew, two running backs, and then at the, you know, come out in a purely I formation and then shift to five wides if they wanted to. And, and then it's how, the, how does the defense adjust to that? That's that's what Miller and Bush and, and Agnew and those type of players can do for you is to just really confuse the personnel packages for a defense. And it's something that Miami hasn't been able to do in a long, long time when I see other teams that do it constantly. I mean, that, that's one of the that's one of the things that Belichick does in, in New England with the two tight end sets. Those guys are so versatile that they can line up with their hand on the ground and block, or they can split out wide and create all kinds of matchups. So you don't know what to do against them defensively. And Miami, I'm hoping, can start to do something like that now. I think you're going to see a lot that with the new regime in place. I think that you you brought up the term flexibility, and that's absolutely what it is. I mean, you want to you wanna be able to shift anything and be able to create a threat right on the fly. And, I mean, they have that. ATT, I'm going to go ahead and put you on hold and take you off the air simply because I do have a bunch of other callers. But we will talk this for a minute. Not a problem. Thanks, guys. Thanks. I think think he's dead on right. Flexible is huge. I mean, it's it's exactly what we have now. It's versatile. There's so much versatility on this team now. And that's why everyone had a problem with, when they were talking about having a problem with the Lamar Miller pick, I was like, why on earth would you ever have a problem with getting a a game breaker like that who can do multiple things on the field? Can can you imagine the look, the the looks you're going to see on other uh, on a, the faces of opposing court, defensive coordinators when Miller's there, and if we spread him out wide, who's going to have to go, who has to go cover that speed now? Are you going to put a linebacker on him? Yeah, you know, I don't that's, know. That's a, I, that's a problem. Yep. And can you imagine a backfield with Bush and Miller in it? I mean, Gosh, one of them splits one. right, the other one splits left. What are you going to do? <laughs> exactly. I, yeah. But, okay, let's go ahead and uh, get Brian. How are you? Hey, how are you guys doing tonight? Not too bad. What's up? Uh, not much. I'm actually, you know, ecstatic about the about the Tannehill pick. The one thing I've been trying to, you know, look online and do some research, and I guess the easy answer would be that Mike Sherman is going to be the one that grooms him. But it almost sounds to me, just everything that I've heard, that Zach Taylor is going to be the one that's basically tied to his hit. But he has no real quarterback coaching experience. He was the tight end coach in at uh, A and M, I believe. Um, I I I think it's going to be both. Um, when he came here, Sherman said he was going to have the quarterback coach responsibilities. So I, I think that in the long run, it, it's going to be uh, it, it's going to be Sherman. Um, so that's what I've been trying to, to research is, you know, online and stuff. I haven't really yeah. really been able to find much at all on Sherman, to be honest. I mean, I even looked at his, his bio and stuff, and I was trying to see if he had a background in, in, you know, grooming quarterbacks. I mean, I know he's had quarterbacks, but how big of a part did he have in, in developing them? I think he said the, the quarterback so guru. I'm sorry, what was that? I think that. I think you're uh, right. Go on, Keith. 
uh, I think uh, in terms of being able to develop a quarterback, I think that's absolutely Philbin's game. I think that he's going to be the grand uh, grand pooba when it comes to developing Tannehill. Uh, well, but I, I also agree. Oh, yeah, that's. I mean, you see time and time again they talk about – I mean, it's no – I mean, granted, he had talent to work – a lot of talent to work with in Green Bay, but, I mean, look what he did. I mean, he changed Aaron Rodgers' throwing motion. I mean, you look at how he threw the ball at Cal – the Jeff Tedford thing of holding the ball up high. And, I mean, his his release was dead over the top. And then Philbin gets his hooks in him and gets him to alter it a little bit, bring it out a little more to the side to change that release point and get it out a little quicker. That's Philbin's doing right there. Same so, with so, do you, so do you think that Philbin downplayed how much he was part of progressing Aaron Rodgers because he, he gave all credit to – they're now offensive coordinator, I forgot his name, that used to be the quarterback's coach. He said he really had nothing to do with it. He was more about developing a scheme that, that played to his strengths. Yeah, I, I think, think you're talking did. about Tom Clemens is the uh, the guy who's right. in there now. But, yeah, he's absolutely – I've read time and time again, and there's there's tons of proof out there that he was the one really that really tied up Aaron Rodgers. I mean, obviously, it, that wasn't the only thing that made Aaron Rodgers great. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has so much going for him, but he's the guy. He gets a a hold of a talented prospect like that, and he's like, "Okay, we're going to alter your release point a little bit so you can get the ball out quicker." I mean, he's okay. a, I, but I agree that I think you know, I mean, you heard Ireland and Philbin and Sherman all speak really highly of Zach Taylor. What I I think he's in. Yeah, I think that in a in a way he is going to be Tannehill's chauffeur. I mean, well, that he, he's married to Mike Sherman's daughter, I believe. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that helps. Yeah. yeah. I, I so, think so. I think he's his son-in-law, yeah. yeah. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. Um, but, yeah, that, that was my real concern was you're, you know, you're, you're drafting what is the franchise quarterback. I just hope you have the right people around to develop him and get him prepared oh. and get him, you know, to the, uh, to the level he can play at. Yeah, I have no concern about that. I absolutely think we have the right guys in, in place to shape Tannehill, bring him along, and uh, make him a killer. Oh, that's good. That's, that's good to hear. Well, sounds good to well, me. Thanks for calling in, Brian. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. You have a good night. All righty. Um, one thing talking there, I, uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and bring Duke in. Duke, how are you? Howdy, y'all. Howdy. That was for Dave. <laughs> one one thing talking about that, um, I, I really do think Philbin downplayed what he'll do. I think that Sherman will do a lot for Tannehill just because he, they have that connection already, Tannehill and Sherman, and obviously Taylor also. But um, one thing I read today was uh, somebody posted a fan shot about it. It was the four-step cookbook to making Tannehill a better quarterback. And I think it was step number three was to use the resource that the Dolphins have that nobody else has. And for whatever reason, we have never tapped it, but get Dan Marino involved. Tannehill is the first quarterback they've taken in the first round since Dan Marino. Tannehill is coming in to fill Dan Marino's shoes. Tannehill has already had a – Stephen Ross saying, I hope one day to retire number 17. So why not use 
the one quarterback that knows how to deal with that pressure to help out Tannehill. Yeah, it's got to be in play at some point, you'd hope. I mean, it takes I mean, two in this instance. Yeah, I, I think somehow they've got to get Marino involved in this. Whether it's, I mean, even if it's just talking to him and, I mean, even over the telephone, but just why not? I mean, no other team has Dan Marino in their pocket. The Miami Dolphins do. Absolutely. But, okay, Chris, sorry. What's up? What's on your mind? Um, I think I've kind of covered this a little bit, and it kind of goes back to what CT was talking about. But I think if you look at this draft and you look at last draft, you can tell a marked difference between the draft philosophies of Jeff Ireland and the draft philosophies of Bill Parcells. And this draft did not at all look like something that Bill Parcells would have done. And last draft kind of, you know, I don't think Parcells would have drafted Gates or Clay or people like that. And so I think when when people want to put down on Jeff Ireland a lot and say, oh, well, you know, we haven't been good for the past four years, I think when you look look at the last two drafts that were purely his, you can say, hey, you know what, maybe the reason we were so bad the years before that was probably because Bill Parcells was more in charge. And you can kind of see that now with these two drafts. I think I think you, you I think you're right. I think um I think Parcells was very much in the I know what I'm doing type of mentality. So it didn't really matter what anybody else said. Now, did he take input from Ireland as a scout and as his GM? I'm sure he did. And he took it from uh Tony also from Sperano. But in the end, Parcells knows what works for football. And he said it on ESPN a couple times lately that, hey, and there was a tweet about it that he told friends this, that maybe the game has passed him by, that it's not the same game he knew. So maybe he does start to realize that he didn't do in Miami what he did in New York. But Mm -hmm. I, I think that you're right. I think that the picks that Ireland is making Obviously, one, he's talking to the coaches and trying to fit their scheme. And two, he's making the picks that he thinks, not the picks that Parcells thinks. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, I he obviously, like a... he obviously grew up under he obviously grew up under Parcells, but he has his own system. He has his own mentality, and he has his own ideas about players. Mm-hmm. And I personally think he I think he did a great job in this draft um, I like every one of the picks really uh, I was kind of iffy about the Vernon pick I didn't know that much about him And things I'd read about him Seemed like he was kind of one of those You know maybe he didn't put forth a lot of effort Kind of players But yeah. everything I've read so far It seems like that Like he said you know If our board was right we crushed this draft and it's all going to hinge yeah. on Tannehill anyway. I mean, Tannehill oh, does, doesn't really matter how good everybody else is. And uh, one more thing, going back to what we talked about last Thursday night with uh, things with the other Chris from New Jersey, one of the things that people, I think, are kind of maybe overlooking with this, the Tannehill pick is this, is we've got at least three years now before we even have to think about a quarterback again. So yep. we have three years' worth of drafts that we can load up on talent at other positions wide receiver, yeah. pass rusher, defensive line, whatever. So if Tannehill doesn't work out in three years from now, 
we can have a loaded team that just needs a quarterback. And if there's another yep. prospect, we can just draft picks and move up. So maybe yeah. we can we can, that's something we don't have to worry about now. You know, in the past few years it's been we need a quarterback. We need a quarterback. Well now we've got three years where we don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Keith and I talked about that recently and I know Keith you just posted that in a story uh today, wasn't it? Wasn't that story today? Oh yeah, that it was just like what a, we need in twenty thirteen. Yeah, I think that but, our our secondary our secondary and receiver are gonna be the the big points of interest next year. And I mean they they could be fine. We don't even know what what Coyle will do with the the defense we have in place. I mean you could see Sean Smith play better. You could see a lot of uh, consistency out of the safeties. I don't know. But if it becomes a problem, there's, I mean, that, that's an area I'd expect us to go after next year to be safety. Really looking to yeah. keep, keep up the back end of the defense. Yep. But I think, I think that's huge is that at least for three years, whether or not Tannehill turns out, for three years we don't have a question. We have our quarterback. Now, if he doesn't pan out and we have to go after somebody else in three years, okay, got it. But for at least three years, we're not going into a draft for the first time in forever looking for a quarterback. Right, absolutely. So, uh, I mean, how can you fault that? That that alone is worth something. How championship teams are built nowadays. But we'll see how that goes. Um, we, uh, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. Um, the uh, I was going to say something else about the draft, going into the draft. Oh, I'm I'm a firm believer, and I know I've talked to at least you, Keith, probably both you and James, about this before. I'm a firm believer in you draft a quarterback every year. Because, I mean, at the minimum, that gives you a backup for when Peyton Manning has neck surgery. So... Next year, I mean, obviously it won't be a first or second round quarterback next year, but fourth, fifth round, you're looking for a quarterback because you need depth. And you never know that one time that you pick that sixth round quarterback and Drew Bledsoe goes down and you put in Tom Brady and suddenly years later you have a Hall of Famer. You never know when that's going to happen. You hit lightning in a bottle once. So uh, Tannehill gives you some breathing room now. And let's see what the draft next year can bring us. I can't believe we're talking about the draft next year already. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> but let's get through this season, please. Uh, let's just get to the season. But if you guys didn't see it, I posted uh, the um, mini camp and OTA schedule. So that's out now. So we're starting to get somewhere. We're getting closer to uh, football. The rookies and rookies and one-year veterans who have three games or less on the roster will be in Miami this weekend. So, should be nice. Get our first look at Tannehill. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you guys have anything last minute that you want to bring up? Uh, we went a, no, I think we went a little over our think. hour. Yeah, I was going to say, I love the fact that we managed to trim it down considerably. <laughs> but it's not three hours. That's a good thing. Nah, right, of course. But um, I don't know if you guys watched it, but I was in sports heaven last night. 
I mean, obviously, you started off today with the Saints that we didn't even talk about today. The Saints uh, punishments coming out. Then you went to through the Junior Seau story, which James is actually the one that keyed me onto that. He texted me in the middle of the day and said, "Hey, did you hear Junior Seau died?" And I went, "Wait, what?" Because yeah. in my office I have ESPN, and ESPN didn't catch on to it for like three hours. Sorry about that. <laughs> Gosh. Please, please ignore R two D two. Then uh, after that, I got home. I was watching the Spurs game because between Orlando and San Antonio, those are my two basketball teams. Uh, so forget the math. Uh, um, so I start watching. I start watching the Spurs game, and that becomes the blowout that it became. So I flipped over to the Rangers Capitals hockey game. Stayed up watching all three overtimes that that was getting ready to go to bed now, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to flip over to ESPN and just see what's going on. I flip it to ESPN2, and it's baseball tonight, and they go 30 seconds after I get on the channel, they go, and we're going to go to live coverage of Jared Weaver trying to have a no-hitter. So I watch the last two innings of that, and I'm like, are you kidding me? This is such an awesome day. (laughs) Now, granted, Junior Seau part wasn't quite so awesome. But (laughs) I, I... yeah, it was it was great. I didn't get to bed till way too late, but that's okay. So, um, guys, thank you for listening. Everybody who called in, thank you for calling in. Um, if you were trying to call in and for some reason the system kept dumping you, I apologize. Uh, try again next week. We'll be back on the air next Thursday. Um, you guys, thank you for taking part, all my co-hosts and Duke for calling in here at the end. Thanks very much. Um, uh, another week, we'll get to talk about some practice next week, so that'll be good. And uh, last thing is, um, a gun rack. A gun rack. I don't even own a gun, let alone the many guns that would necessitate an entire rack. What am I going to do with a gun rack? I keep Hi, waiting guys. for you to, to do uh, thanks. I'd like to play. <laughs> you guys have a good night and talk to you all next week. Good night. Bye. Right. Later, everyone. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Right now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. 
And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.